Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 5, this is the word of the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, now we pray for your help as we turn our attention to focus on what you have said in your word. Father, we pray that you would give us faith and hope in these promises and that our hearts would be full of your spirit empowered to do your will in the time that you give us that we may call the nations to you to know that you are the one who has worked for our salvation. You are the one who has come to rescue us and you are the one who will come again to rule and reign forever. The name of of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. I often think about what the disciples were thinking when they went to bed on that Friday night after Jesus was crucified. When they laid down to sleep that night, when they were alone with their thoughts, what was going through their minds? It must have seemed like the whole world had turned against them. Maybe even God himself had turned against them. For God's law in the book of Leviticus had declared, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. They may have believed what the religious authorities had been convinced of, that Jesus was no king that Jesus definitely was not the Messiah, for he had been hung on a cross. Instead of defeating the Romans, Jesus had been executed by them. Maybe God had not sent him. God had cursed him. I would imagine they would have been pretty devastated on that night. And in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, we are given a pretty good glimpse at what their mindset was after Jesus died. Luke gives us an account of two disciples who were on their way to Emmaus, walking there from Jerusalem. Luke tells us Jesus caught up with them and joined them as they walked after Jesus rose from the dead. These two disciples didn't recognize who he was, obviously, Uh, They were not expecting at all to see him that day. And when Jesus asked them what they were talking about, 
they were surprised that he didn't know what had just happened to the one whom the chief priests and rulers had delivered up to be condemned and crucified. That's when we hear what they were thinking about as they reflected on those incredibly disappointing events for them. Luke 24, verse 21 says, this again quoting these two two disciples, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They said, we had hoped. We had hoped Jesus would be the one to redeem us, to save us, to lead us into glory. We had hoped, but not anymore. They were no longer hoping for that to happen. They had lost hope. Do you know what it's like to lose hope? Is that something that you have ever had to experience for yourself. Well, if so, you definitely wouldn't be the only one. For even Jesus' disciples, those who walked with him, those who followed him closely, those who had witnessed him do amazing things like like heal the paralyzed, give sight to the blind, and raise the dead, even they lost hope. But whenever we lose hope, We fail to do the same thing that that they failed to do back then. We fail to believe God's word. We fail to trust in the Lord's promises. Whenever we are losing hope, that is where our trouble lies. If we have put our hope in God, he is never the one who has failed us. As those disciples were soon to find out, Jesus was not the one who had failed them. Our trouble lies in our own failure to believe in his promises, to believe in what he has said. On this Easter, we are celebrating how the Lord is faithful to his promises. For he rose again from the dead. We are reminded better than any other day that we will never go wrong to have our hope in him and in his word. And if you are in a place similar to where the disciples were on that dark day when the Lord Jesus was crucified, if you are in a place this morning where you might feel your hope slipping away, well, then the Lord wants to remind you again of what he has said, that there is a glorious future For those who believe. Our main theme from our passage here from the first five verses of Isaiah 60 is that the Lord has promised a glorious future for his people. The Lord has promised a glorious future for his people. When Isaiah delivered this prophecy to the people of Israel, things were not looking very good. God had told them that he would send a foreign nation to conquer them that they would come under judgment for their sin and idolatry. Uh, The nation was about to suffer greatly. They would go into exile. It appeared as if God was forsaking them, that his covenant had, had failed. It was a dark time. But in the middle of that dark time, the Lord spoke. 
the Lord made a promise to his people. To those who still looked to him and hoped in his word, he promised them that they had a glorious future ahead of them because of the Redeemer that he would send to them. The question for them, as well as for us then, is will we believe? Will we trust his word? First in verses 1 and 2 here of Isaiah 60, we see the Lord's people are called to shine as lights in a dark world. The Lord's people are called to shine as lights in a dark world. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. So at the end of the previous chapter uh, of Isaiah 59, verse 20, uh, we we were told there that, that, that God was going to send his Redeemer for his people. He identified his people in that verse as those who turn from transgression. They are those who have repented uh, of their sin and unbelief and who have turned toward God in faith and are depending upon his mercy. They are the ones who trust in God's promises of salvation through his Redeemer. They are the, the people that the Lord is addressing here in Isaiah 60. They, they are known by, by various names in the scriptures. They are known by, by Judah, uh, by Israel, uh, by Zion, uh, or by Jacob. And in the, the New Testament, they are known primarily as the church. And here in this promise, the Lord tells them to shine, for your light has come. Your light has come. And what is that light? Or more accurately, who is that light? We are told here that it is the Lord himself, the Redeemer who was promised back in Isaiah 59, verse 20. For it says, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The prophet Isaiah often uh, used the image of light uh, to point to the coming of the Lord in the sinful uh, world of darkness in order to save and to restore his people. You may be familiar with the beginning of, of chapter 9 in Isaiah, in verse 2 of that chapter, where, where God's word says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Last weekend, I was staying overnight at uh, Timberlake Ranch Camp uh, in the, the wilderness of the Platte River Valley south of Central City. Uh, I was there along with uh, the other uh, Midwest D- District board members for a retreat that we were having there. We had a, had a meeting on Friday night that got over a little after 10 o'clock. Uh, and when we got outside of the building that we uh, were meeting in, in order to walk back to our cabins, we were in pitch black darkness. None of us were very sure of where we, we were going. Uh, and as we looked around, we could see far in the distance these yard lights uh, where these, these very wise uh, homeowners put up these lights around their homes so they could see outside in the darkness. And we longed, we longed to have maybe just one of those yard lights there on the path that we were walking on so we could see our way 
back to our cabins so we could be prevented from maybe stumbling over a tree stump or some uh, fallen timber on the ground. See, when you are in the darkness, light is, is everything. And Isaiah tells us more about that light that dawned upon the people who were steeped in the darkness in Isaiah 9, verse 6. There it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. God was announcing that light was coming into the dark world in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then later in Isaiah, uh, chapter 42, verse 6, and chapter 49, verse 6, the Lord describes there his servant, the Redeemer, who he will send into the world. And he says in both places, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So you will not just be a light for the people of Israel, but a light for the nations, a light for the Gentiles. That is, he will be the light of the world. And finally, in Isaiah 56, verse 13, the Lord calls his servant there the light of life. Now, with those descriptions of the Redeemer in our minds, let's take a look at the Gospel of John. For one of the key distinctions uh, in John's Gospel is how the Lord Jesus uh, provides us with seven key descriptions of himself uh, in this Gospel. Uh, They are known as the seven I am sayings of the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of John. And the one that I want to point you toward is is found in John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8 and verse 12. There we find the Lord Jesus speaking again to those who had gathered around to hear him, mainly his disciples. And it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. In making this statement, Jesus was pointing back, of course, to the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah's descriptions of the light that the Lord would send into a world filled with pain and despair of living in moral darkness. And Jesus here was saying, I am that light. I am that light. I am the light of the world, the light for the nations, the light of life. I am the Savior that God promised to send into the world. Do you know that light? Do you know Jesus as that light, the light of life? Do you have that light in you? Is your life guided through the darkness of this world by that light. Again, Isaiah 60, 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness of peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The world is groping in the darkness 
blind, lost, it doesn't know the way forward or the way out of its moral confusion. The darkness of sin and Satan's lies have hardened the hearts and consciousness of this world, but God has acted for his people. He has sent the Redeemer. He is the Lord Jesus. He has come. He has lived the life of a a faithful servant, perfectly righteous in all of his ways, and he then uh, was willingly thrust into the darkness of our sin and guilt on the cross of Christ, and he endured the wrath of God against our sin, poured out on himself. The light of life then was extinguished. He, he died and was buried. But then on the third day, the light of the world burst forth from the tomb as he rose again and revealed himself to those who believed in his name. His light now shines into the darkness of our world, primarily through his people. His people who proclaim his word. So look back now at the verse that immediately precedes Isaiah 60. All right. The last verse of chapter 59. So here the Lord is speaking to his servant, to to the Redeemer. All right. And he says there, And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. So do you know that the primary activity of the Lord Jesus in the days immediately following the resurrection? Do you know what he was doing? Luke and John are the the two gospel writers uh, that tell us And what we learn from them is that the Lord was teaching his disciples, helping them to understand how he was the fulfillment of the scriptures. That he was teaching them how to understand the written word of the Lord so that they could then proclaim that word to the world. And he commanded them to preach and to teach his word to feed my sheep, he said. And then in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus' ascension into heaven, what do we find the disciples doing on the day of Pentecost? Well, we find there the the disciples proclaiming that Jesus is the Savior using the writings of the prophets. The Lord has put his word and his spirit in his people in order for his people to shine to arise and to shine, to shine the light of truth upon the world. In Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says to the church there, you are the light of the world. So shine your light. Shine your light, brothers and sisters. Shine the light of Christ upon the world. Proclaim his truth and invite others to read the scriptures with you. You are the light because you have the light. You are like the moon reflecting the glory of the sun upon the earth. So reflect the glory of the Lord upon those who don't know him by loving them and speaking his words to them. And in that way, his glory will be seen upon you. His glory will be seen as you walk in the light of the truth of God's word. Secondly, Again, focusing just on verse 2 of Isaiah 60, the Lord will make a clear distinction between his people and the world. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. 
but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Our culture despises making distinctions uh, between people. We have hated the idea of un- only one youth sports team winning trophies or you know, for winning the, the most games in a league. So sometime years back, many leagues decided to give every team and then every player a trophy. doesn't matter how many games uh, they may have won or which place they may have ended up in the league standings. In our society, we treat everyone as a winner. There are no losers anymore. And, and that's not all, of course. You know, now in our society, uh, even uh, has a real problem with making distinctions between men and women and boys and girls. But even more than that, if there is one thing that will raise the ire of those outside of the church more so than almost anything else, it's when Christians make distinctions between those who will be accepted by God and those who won't. The world hates it whenever we proclaim from God's word that on judgment day, God will make a distinction between those who will be welcomed into his kingdom and those who will be cast out and condemned. And here Isaiah points to that distinction in verse 2, saying that while darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Again, this refers to his chosen people, uh, those who repented of their sin and, and identified themselves with the Redeemer that, that God sent, Jesus, the light of the world. And this reminds us of the distinction that the Lord made when he redeemed his people out of Egypt. The Lord then thrust plagues upon Egypt in judgment for their idolatry and their harsh treatment of the people of Israel. And in the ninth of those plagues, um, the plague of darkness over the land of Egypt, Moses describes the clear distinction between light and darkness that the Lord made. That's in Exodus 10, verses 21 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But, God's word says, all the people of Israel had light where they lived. We do know the difference between the darkness that is normal to live with and a darkness that is felt. We know when darkness falls upon us at a strange time of day. The darkness comes with a, with a great foreboding of danger. It, it brings fear and dread. I remember... Uh, just a few summers ago, driving on Highway 24 towards Norfolk, and it felt like a normal day as I left Stanton. But about halfway to Norfolk, I could see that I was driving right toward a great, thick, foreboding darkness. I thought about turning around, but, but, but kept going because I was already running late for an, an appointment. And the closer I got to Norfolk, the darker it got until I drove right into a massive downpour of rain that about washed my vehicle right off of the road. That was a darkness that I felt. 
long before the darkness encompassed me. And Moses tells us that the darkness that encompassed the Egyptians was so dark, so fearful, so foreboding that, that no one even got out of bed for three days. But at the same time, where his people dwelt, well, they just went on with life as normal. For they had light. The Lord had made a distinction between those who were his people and those who weren't. And Isaiah reminds us that in the future, on the day of judgment, that another great distinction will be made. Jesus speaks of this distinction in Matthew 25, where he says the Lord will separate the sheep from the goats. He will separate his sheep, those who trusted in him, those who did his will, from those who rejected him and his word. They will be judged and cast into the darkness of hell to suffer God's wrath, while his redeemed people will be welcomed into eternal life, into the light of the glory of the new earth. And, that, and this is also why the Lord warns us against following the world in, in loving the darkness. So beware, Satan and our sin nature are constantly trying to convince us that the darkness is better, that the darkness isn't really all that dark. If you love the world, if you love the deeds of the darkness, then there's a warning here that you will not be welcomed into eternal life. If your life is characterized by, by those dark things, by the way of the world, by taking pleasure in and by enjoying worldly things, sin and wretchedness and depravity, you're in the darkness. You're in the darkness. If you love the world, if you love the deeds of the darkness, you will not be welcomed into eternal life. So you must repent. You must turn away from the darkness and come to love the light of life. Come to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you have come this, this Easter Sunday to hear the word of the Lord, make sure that you will be among that number at the end who will be saved from the darkness and you will be glorified through your faith in Christ. On that day, the Lord will make a distinction. Make sure you are among his redeemed and glorified people. And finally, verses three through five, the Lord's glorious people will include those from all nations and cultures. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. Now, in these verses, the Lord is revealing for us more about what is to come. Uh, this is his promise for the future of, of his people, and it is glorious. The church will be made up of people from all nations, from all different parts of the world, from every tribe, tongue, family, and culture. And this has always been God's plan. 
From the very beginning, when the Lord called Abraham out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans and made a covenant with him, promising Abraham that he would bless him and that in Abraham, through his offspring, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God began his great plan of of redemption through that one man, through his family, which became a great nation, a nation that was called to be a light to the nations, but instead they followed the ways of the idolatrous pagan nations all around them. But in spite of their unfaithfulness, the Lord still made good on his plan and brought his Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, into the world through the physical descendants of Abraham. Uh, Through the ministry of Jesus, it seemed, the world came to him. Gentiles came to him. Samaritans came to him. Prostitutes, tax collectors, and sinners came to him. And in Jesus, they were all shown mercy and grace and were called to repentance and faith. And Jesus then went to the cross. And, of course, do you remember what happened on the cross from the sixth hour to the ninth hour while our Lord hung there struggling for breath? The Gospels tell us there was darkness over all the land. The darkness that was felt in Egypt because of God's judgment, fell upon God's Son. And he cried out there from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He endured our darkness so we could be in the light. In those moments, he suffered the judgment for our sin and the sin of all who will believe so we could forever be known as blameless. We already thought about what his followers may have been thinking about and wondering in the hours after the darkness fell upon the Lord Jesus. They had lost hope. But that was only a sign of their own failure to hear, their own failure to trust his words. For Jesus had promised them. He had said to them on three different occasions that he would be condemned, that he would suffer, that he would be crucified and he would die and be buried. But then he'd also said, on the third day, he would rise. He would rise again from the dead. And brothers and sisters, he fulfilled his word, for he has risen. You want proof of that? Look around you. It's the only reason why we are here this morning. Because he has risen. He rose from the dead. He did exactly as he promised he would. And so now you and I are are here in a time where, let's be honest, things look pretty hopeless. It doesn't seem like the gospel is making much of a difference in our country or in our world as a whole. And we may have a tendency to think, well, what's the use? What's the use? Let's just take care of ourselves Let's just raise our kids. Let's just focus on ourselves and not worry about proclaiming this message. So therefore, we don't do it. We, we fail to proclaim the gospel. We don't bring up our faith in Jesus with others. Our, our prayers tend to only focus on ourselves and our day-to-day needs for health, protection, and happiness, and we neglect to pray for our missionaries or evangelists We neglect to to pray for the gospel to be spread throughout our community. 
or our world. And this is not a sign at all that God has let us down. It is clearly instead a sign that we have failed to believe his promise. Verses 3 through 5 again. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. Do you believe this? If we do, then let's commit ourselves to proclaim that Christ is Lord. And let's commit to praying for our neighbors, to praying for the nations to hear, to believe, and to come into the kingdom through repentance and faith in Christ, the risen King. As our choir sang for us, let us take these words to heart. O church, arise, shine, for your light has come. Arise, shine, for the risen sun. Lift your eyes. We are his radiant bride. Arise, O church, arise. Come, see the cross where love and mercy meet. As the Son of God is stricken, then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet. For the conqueror has risen. And as the stone is rolled away and as Christ emerges from the grave, this victory march continues till the day every eye and heart shall see him. O church, arise, shine, for your light has come. Let us pray. O Spirit, come. Put strength in every stride, give grace for every hurdle, that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant, good and faithful. As saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of his grace, we hear their calls and hunger for the day, when with Christ we stand in glory. O help the church, O Lord to arise and shine. We pray in the name of Christ, our risen Savior. Amen.